For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise in his servants also, disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Second Corinthians chapter 11. There is, in this portion, we have already talked about how Paul has been dealing with those people that were in the church of Corinth. In Corinth, there were people that were going up against Paul. Paul had to defend himself. Paul is talking about these men that are within the church. It's amazing that a lot of the persecution that happens, most of it, some of it comes from outside. Some of it comes from the governing authorities. Some of it comes from those things that are without and on the outside. But a lot of the persecution that happens within the church happens within the church. And that is just unfortunate, but it's, it's the real thing. Where Satan comes in and he infiltrates the minds and the hearts of people, leading people in different directions and not going back to the word of God. And in the word of God, what Paul is saying is that here, he says, look, I, I shared with you the genuine gospel. I shared, with that, I shared that with you last week. As a matter of fact, when we get into Galatians, I'm going to expound on it a little bit more. But the gospel of Jesus Christ, you, you know, I, I believe that a person that receives food because he was hungry or water because he was thirsty or clothing because he was naked or got a visit because he was in prison and and that is good and they, and it is probably good news for them as well i can most likely be assured that it is but that is not salvific that good news does not save anyone the gospel of jesus christ is the only good news that is salvific that saves that is the one thing that he changes all eternity there are a lot of things that we do as a church that are good. There are a lot of teachings that you receive from God that are good and from his word. But the only gospel, good news, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He died on the cross. And he died because, well, first of all, there, my sin had to be paid for. There was a sacrificial system within the, 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 the Old Testament and, and even into the New Testament. And people believed that there were things that you had to do. Jesus Christ came and he atoned for the sin of those who are his. And Jesus Christ, when he atoned for our sin on the cross, he said, Tetelestai, it is finished. Not only was his work done on earth, but his work continues on that the Telestai says that no longer will you have to come in and bring the sacrifices and work out your salvation by working for your salvation. A very good reminder and a very powerful sign was that the temple in the Holy of Holies, that the curtain was torn in two, exposing the Holy of Holies, giving us access to God. And when Jesus Christ paid for my sin, he did that for you because I was, I am a sinner. Not was, I am. Yeah. I am a rotten sinner. I, I'm sinner to the core and I need salvation. I need a change from God. There's no one who's righteous. No, not one. So Jesus Christ dying on the cross was because someone had to pay for my sin. Every single time, my sin. Every time I sin, I have, it has to be paid for. And he resurrected and he resurrected from the grave, showing that the resurrection will come for those who die in Christ. And there's a, 
a very short section in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says, and you know the gospel that I've preached to you, that Jesus Christ died it's according to the scriptures, that he was buried and resurrected according to the scriptures. And then he came to his own. He didn't go to the governor. He didn't go to the high priest. He didn't go to anyone else. He didn't even show himself to the guards that were there. He knocked them out. They fell asleep. They were unconscious, and they didn't see the resurrected son. The women saw him. The disciples saw him. People, over 500 people saw him. And Paul says, and finally, me, the least of all apostles, I saw him. Jesus Christ comes to his own. It would have been nice if he went to the... I don't know, the Jerusalem Herald at that time. Hey, take pictures. Here I am. If he would have went to the king and says, look, I told you I was going to rise. If he would have went to the leaders of that day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, look, I proved you wrong. But no. Who did he go to? He went to those that were his. And when we understand that the gospel message is that in itself. Now, everything else is good. There are a lot of good things that the church does and that the Bible teaches, but that is the message that changes all eternity for every single human being. And so the Judaizers or the people that were in Corinth, they were claiming that Paul was doing this out of his own selfish ambition. As a matter of fact, they even claimed, you know, the fact that he doesn't receive anything from you, that he doesn't, that he's not asking you to pay him for his work shows that he doesn't love you and how they got that twisted up we'll see here in just a little bit so paul has been talking to the church he's been talking about the people within the church and unless we understand truth see truth never changes truth changes me say that with me truth never changes truth changes me always and truth is always truth And I have come to find that those who call uh, truth that we preach out of the gospel as hate speech, not only do they hate the truth, they're afraid of the truth. They know that the truth hurts. The truth hurts, and therefore, it's got to be hate speech. And and in in what the Bible says, and in speaking it and sharing it with others, we share the truth. We need to know the truth. And it's it's amazing how uh, many people, when you don't know the truth, Error happens. You have to have a discerning ear, a discerning eye. You have to understand what it is that you're hearing within the church. And the absence of discernment is a logical consequence of the ignorance of Scripture. No matter how many Bibles are sold, year after year after year, there are many people that still don't know how many books are in the Bible, where they're at uh, in chronological order, or whether they're put together, how they're put together. And the Word of God is is so accessible to people. It's on computers and on your phones, and yet people don't know the Scriptures. I was amazed one day when somebody said, uh, they were talking about something, there was a group of us, of leaders, not necessarily pastors, but, you know, some some spiritual leaders, and and the the message that was quoted, he says, you guys need to look this up, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Okay, and they start going through their phones. The first thing, Matthew 18 through 20, I says, Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. You guys don't know that one? Come on. That's just like the foundational biblical mandate that every one of us ought to have. I think we're all just impressed at the fact that, well, I know John 3.16. Well, everybody knows John 3.16. It is amazing. It is amazing on how much we have God's word, yet we're not as proficient in it as we should be 
And so throughout history, the most damaging assault on the church, as I said, has always come from within, not from without, not from persecution, not from humanism, not from skepticism, not from atheism, but from within the church. And that seems to breed some sort of dissension and this ugliness within the church. And so in order to protect the unity of the church and to bring the church together, Paul gives us at least five. He gives us six or seven. We'll have to go through them next week as well. But he gives us at least five points, starting off with verse 7 in chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to read the whole chapter. Excuse me. I'm going to read the, the verses that we have for today. And I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer and then come back and expound on the word of God as we can apply it to ourselves this morning. But chapter 11, verses 7 on, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and it says this, or, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. I refrained, and I will refrain, from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what am I doing? And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Father in heaven, as we hear from Paul, we see that there are false apostles. There are false Christs. And Lord, you have even mentioned to us, you even promised us and, and already warned us ahead of time, before the end will come, many will rise up claiming to be you and have your word. Many self-proclaimed apostles and prophets and sayers and seers and dreamers and re revealers of many kinds. And Lord, we know and we've learned that we have to test everything according to your word. And so I ask you, Father, this morning, that as we dive into your word, that you help us to see how it is that we can protect the unity and, and the integrity of your church. And Lord, we know, we, we know that when we say the word church, we're not talking about a building. But every individual in this place is one that has been called out and has come together to gather. Whether they gather here or anywhere else, each one of us here are the church. So the integrity that we're protecting is not necessarily the, but also includes the building itself and those that within the building, but it includes the integrity of my life and of who I am as the church. So Father, this morning, I pray that you lead us in all things. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And we all say, amen. amen. Pull out your outlines. Number one, what Paul here is saying that we have to live a life of humility. I must live a life of humility. Apart from Jesus Christ, who was the epitome of humility, and you think about what he did and how he humbled himself 
as not God, not taking on the qualities. He took off the qualities of God and he emptied himself. He emptied himself of the God nature and became man. He humbled himself to be a servant. He humbled himself in such a way that he says, you know, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. He humbled himself by taking a towel and taking on the menial service of a slave by washing the disciples' feet. That was a powerful symbol, beloved. And he said, you guys do the same thing. Don't try to clamor to be first place. You want to be first? You need to be last. You need to be the servant of all. And humility is difficult for you and I. Humility is not a word that we put into our vocabulary. Because as we spoke on this a couple of weeks ago, the moment we start talking about, well, you know, I am very humble. Really, I am. I got to prove to you how humble I am by at least sharing with you on the things that I've done. And here are the things that I've done that show that I'm and prove that I'm humble. And now I am boasting about my humility. And therefore, in essence, I am being very prideful. And humility is a very tight line and a, and a tight rope to walk on and, and because you, you by just by bringing attention to yourself saying that you're humble already disqualifies you for your humility and so as we see what Paul is doing even when you boast about yourself and Paul is boasting he's sharing with the with the people in Corinth here's the things that I've done I, I never asked you guys for any money he said I never I never asked you guys to take care of me when I was in need And he says, or did I commit a sin in humbling myself? You see, in that day, we have to understand that the people that were preachers and teachers and and speakers, they only spoke if you paid them. And they would hire themselves out to groups. Or if you wanted to follow them, you would have to pay a fee. They would sometimes hire themselves out to homes and, and to rulers and leaders. And they would be the teachers of their children and of their household. And they would give them all sorts of advice and wisdom. And, and they would just bring everything they knew and brought it together. And, and they were paid well. They were taken care of. And so Paul says, did I, hum- did I commit a sin because I didn't ask you guys? Matter of fact, I, I even worked. And, and the people that were in Corinth, they were saying, you know, this guy, he, he's, he works with his hands. A, a professor, a teacher, a philosopher wouldn't use his hands to dirty himself. He wouldn't humble himself. That was beneath him to do anything like that. And Paul, well, he did it, so he can't be real. He's got to be fake. You know, it's kind of like if you were to come out here and, and uh, which... You come by throughout the week, any time of the week, right, Ben? And you'll see me out there digging holes or, or mowing the lawn or whatever. I like to get involved. And people would say, no, they can't be the pastor. As a matter of fact, a lot of times people would come up and say, oh, yeah, we're here to talk to the pastor. I says, okay, hold on. I turn around. I get my other hand. Okay, how can I help you? Oh, you're the pastor? Yeah, the pastor, the gardener, the janitor, the, you know, <laughs> a little bit of everything. No, I'm just kidding. But, but, but that happens at times, you know, because it's kind of, oh, well, you know, I just don't think that the pastor should do that. I'm that kind of a pastor. You see, you see how humble I am? I talk about myself. <laughs> you see, I told you I was humble. And, and, that's, and that's what Paul was fighting against. He was fighting against these people that were saying, you know, he, he can't be an apostle. Really? I mean, we, we learned this a few weeks ago that this young, this Paul was a short, stubby, bow-legged, balding man with a unibrow. And, and he had a hooked nose, supposedly, and, and he, he wasn't very eloquent. Oh, but he was powerful. And they say, I mean, look at him. Look at his stature. He, he can't be an apostle. Paul, Paul is not the person that you guys should be following. You should follow us, is the, was the mantra of that day. And so these Corinthians, as Paul is responding, he's saying, did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you for free of charge? 
You know, I, I didn't want anything to, to hinder the gospel. I gave it to you because, you know, I was being supplied by another church. And he takes it to the furthest extreme. Okay, I, I guess if that's the case, I must have been robbing the other churches by accepting support for them in order to serve you. And then he goes on to say, and when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained, and I will refrain, from burdening you in any way. He says, I don't want to burden the church. I don't want to take from the church what needs to be done within the church. And you know this. And I, I did the best I could with what I had to share the gospel because I want you to, to know the gospel. I don't want to be associated with that crowd that goes around charging people for their itinerary fees by speaking fees. I'm not going to do that because you need to hear what Jesus Christ did for you. You need to hear this. And it's free. Just like the free gift of eternal life. It's free. That's, this is how I am preaching and proclaiming. And he went out and he did the same thing. Now, this, this is not to say that Paul didn't receive funds, and he did. But he himself says, I'm going to be a tent maker. And we elevate Paul, and we thank him for doing that. We say, you know, Paul, that was great. But you have to understand the times of the day. That, excuse me, at that time, if you worked with your hands, that's all you did. You weren't, you weren't serious enough. You weren't to be taken too serious. Because whatever you were going to say, this is why when Jesus was speaking and he was talking. You remember when Jesus was, was talking to people, they, they would say, isn't this the carpenter's son? Doesn't he work with his hands? Well, where, did, where did he learn all this stuff? He's, he's, not, he's not right. And Paul says, did I commit a sin? Well, of course not, he says. Number two, I need to not only live my life in humility, but I need to live my life uh, full of truth. I need to live a life of truth. And then he says in verse 10, as the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. This was not an isolated event. This, didn't, this wasn't just happening in Corinth. This was happening in the region all around him. And Paul could hardly affirm the truth of Christ was in him. He not only proclaimed the truth, but also lived it out in absolute integrity. To do otherwise would be hypocrisy, which Paul abhorred. He hated hypocrisy. He hated the fact that people would say one thing and do another thing. He says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, something that we studied here several months ago, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. He says, you, you, need, you need to know the truth. This is, I'm speaking, you've seen it. You've seen my life. You know what I, I do. And when you are protecting the integrity of the church, you live a life of humil humility, you live a life of truth, and you expect that of your spiritual leaders. Amen. You expect that of those that are leading you and, and sharing with you on the things that they know and the things that they're sharing with you according to the word of God. Amen. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 2, 17, he says, We are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Amen. We're not going around peddling the word. Amen. You know, and that's just not what you do. I, I understand this. And there are, there are many times, and I've shared this with you before. There I go again, showing you how humble I am. Uh, there I, I've shared with this with, with you before 
And I'm being facetious, but, you know, sometimes I'm not. And, and when, when I first started as a pastor, well, you know, I, I didn't know much. I, I didn't go to pastor school. I just knew that I was called, and we started a church, and I, I, I started Solid Rock. Solid Rock, we merged with this church. We came down here, and we've been here since. And Solid Rock and Riverside grew, and I wasn't taking any salary. As a matter of fact, the church that was helping me gave me a, a monthly allowance, that what they gave me, and I used it all for the church. I would, I would uh, you know, rent the building, buy the bulletins, everything that we needed. You know, you know and then at the, after, after two net, because it was a three-year deal, after two years, they said, okay, next year, we're only going to give you half of your salary. I go, salary? You guys don't give me a salary. He says, yeah, we do. We've been giving you $500 a month. Oh, that's my salary? And they go, well, yeah, what have you been using it for? Well, to, you know, the, the building and everything else and all kinds of stuff. And they says, well, I guess you've been tithing 100%. And I go, I guess. I don't know. And, and so, but, but that, that, that um, habit, that habit continued on. Uh, I didn't realize <clears throat> when I first started that when I started doing weddings and funerals, people ask me, how much you charge? I don't charge. So I want to get the gospel out. I want to do whatever I can to get the gospel out. After I went to pastor school, I went to seminary, and I was going after my master's, and, and they, were, they were going through this pastoral counseling class, and they were talking about everything that we do. Okay, now when you go to do your funerals and, and weddings, this is how you should be charging for your, your services. And I thought, you're supposed to charge for services? Well, what do you do? I says, I just, on a love offering, whatever people want to give, and people give us love offerings. Sometimes they love me a lot, and sometimes they love me little. I, <laughs> and when, when, when those things started to come into play. Now, here's, here's what's happened. Here's what's happened. Paul's, Paul's same, same thing. Here's what happened. When people saw that I wouldn't take something for them, and this is before I even knew better, and I know better, and I still, you know, whatever it takes, I want to get the gospel out. But when people saw that there was nothing being given to the pastor, it kind of offended them. You know, this guy, you know, he really can't be that. He went to school, you sure? And I go, look, all we're doing is preaching the gospel. That's all we want to do. Now, things have changed, of course. Uh, somebody asked me one day uh, when we had a business meeting, Bill Heinecker. I don't know, you remember Bill Heinecker, Terry? And uh, so, so, well, you guys are giving me $50 a month for gas. $50, that's all we're giving you? I says, well, yeah. He says, how do, you how do you survive? I says, pretty well, I guess. God had taken care of us, and, and I, I'm talking with Ben and his father. It did the same thing, and I know a lot of other pastors that did the same thing. And so we, we just go according to the way the Lord has, has led us. And, and this thought process, this idea that, well, pastors have got to be worth their salt. You know, they've got to be worth what we pay them. And so we know that if we pay them enough, then that, that, therefore they're worth enough. And Paul says, no. Because what we want to do is get the word out to you. And he says, and I'm not going to stop boasting about this. He says, you know, I'm not going to stop boasting about this because he wasn't going to change his policy. He was not going to take a fee. He wasn't going to start charging. He says, I want the gospel to get out. Paul was a man of impeccable integrity, completely faithful to his convictions. And he said, God showed me and he sent me and he's going to provide. And he's going to take care of all that we've been taking care of. And so Paul has been uh, an example for many. Now, we do have pastors that get a salary, and we do have, you know, and that's has, that has changed, in, at least in, in this church, for their pastor as well, because we know that, uh, that a worker is worthy of his wages. Now, those things have taken place, and, and I thank you, and I, I praise God for the faithfulness that you have as a church that have been able to take care of us. We're not a huge church, as you can see, but God has blessed us beyond measure. Beyond measure, and I, I can get into that even some more. But number three, I need to live a life of love. 
Not only do you need to live, live a life of love, but that's got to be projected within the church. Your leaders have got to live a life of love. You know, and, and we, go back, we go back to what Paul said in verse 10 in order to kind of tie this together. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows that I do. Come on. And that was the claim. He can't love you guys. You see, the reason he doesn't love you guys and the reason he doesn't take some money back is because he knows that the moment you, st- you, start, you put him on the payroll... He is beholden to you. Now he's responsible to you. And he doesn't want that kind of responsibility. And therefore, he doesn't want, he doesn't love you guys. And Paul says, that's just absurd. That's just, how do they even come up with that thought? How do they come up with that thought? Well, of course I love you guys. You know this. You've heard me. I I mean, as we have been going through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, we've come to find out that Paul wrote two other letters that are lost. And Paul was so passionate about this church. And he was just so, I mean, constantly encouraging and exhorting. He loved this church. He spent a lot of time there. And he wrote them a lot of letters and, and sent them a lot of people and, and leaders to correct the church. If he didn't care about the church, he says, you know what? You guys are a messed up church. And it was a messed up church, beloved. It was a broken, messed up church. But Paul kept on it. And he kept preaching. And he kept telling. And he kept encouraging using God's word. He says, I know, you know I love you. He told the people in Rome in chapter 12, he says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. And basically, that verse in Romans can sum up all that Paul was telling, trying to tell them. Abhor evil, hate evil, get away from evil. Get away from the, the practices that you are you have let the church get infiltrated by. The, the worldly tolerance and the worldly you know, tolerance for sexual immorality. Come on, this guy is sleeping with his dad's wife, his stepmom. And you guys are okay with that? Paul was indignant about the fact that, that he was doing that sexual immorality but what really ticked him off was the fact that you guys are okay with that that's what paul was genuinely upset about and you guys are getting drunk at the lord's table you don't wait for those that are working and you come in and you guys are okay with that i don't know if you guys remember this back in first corinthians you know in your spiritual gifts you misuse them and and abuse them you and paul just kept you guys are okay with that god is not a god of confusion but a god of order And in between those two chapters of 12 and 14, he puts in the love chapter. And he says, you got to love. Let your love be genuine. And how? By just get rid of evil. My problem is, our problem is, is that we are taught to be tolerant. You got to be tolerant of other people's choices, of their, um, what they want. You have to be tolerant. Yeah. And, and if you're not tolerant, then you're, you're hate speech. And I don't know if you've noticed, but hate speech now is anything that people hate. <laughs> Basically, you know? And, and when you tell the truth, that's hate speech. You know why? Amen. Because the truth hurts. Amen. And instead of getting hurt, they just say, you know what? Just shut up. It's hate speech. You can't speak that anymore. Not here, not anymore. Get rid of evil. And Paul says, and hold fast to what is good. You want to be a church, a life that lives in truth. And you want to be a church that, and a, and, a, and a person that lives in humility, you want to be a person that lives 
in a life of love. Love. Love is not just this ooey-gooey feeling that I feel inside. Love is a verb. Love is, is something that you put into action. Love is unconditional. Love is, God is love. Love is not something that I have to try to figure out. If I feel like it, I love. If I don't feel like it, I don't. Today's culture, I love you because. I love you when. And if you don't, and if you don't, then forget it. I don't love you anymore. And therefore, it's, it's amazing how many people get married because of love. Why are you guys married? Because I love the person. It's amazing how many people get, get divorced because of love. How come you're divorced? No, I don't love them anymore. And love has, is, is a feeling. Love is a commitment. Love is an action. Love is something that we do. Love is unconditional. Love has no conditions on it. Genuine agape love is unconditional. Paul says, let that be genuine. How do you do that? Get rid of the evil. Hold on to what is good. So on the flip side of this, you know, the flip side of your outline, Paul says, okay, here's what I want to share with you. Just like humility, truth, and love paint this portrait of a true uh, person, of God, a person of, of God, false apostles have this opposite view. And the first thing he says, don't, let, don't live a life of pride. Don't live a life of pride. And he says, what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasting mission, they work on the same terms as we do. There were a group of people that were claiming, look, we're just like Paul. We're better than Paul. You know, we, we, we at least get paid for our services. That proves that we are genuine. That proves that people want to hear what we have to say. Look at how much money we gain. Look how much money we have, we, what we're doing. And Paul says, you know, don't live that life of pride. These guys are boasting about the mission that they do, about the work that they do. And, and again, it's, it's that fine line of being able to say, look, this is who I am. And you know this because of you know... You, you know who I am. Community. The importance of a community is, is, is so. Jesus Christ died for that. You need to belong to a church. You need to belong to a body of believers that can hold you accountable. You need to belong to a people that know who you are. Beloved, I know you're broken. Okay? Just know it. I'm broken. Just know it. And I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But we're striving. We're desiring to, to love the Jesus of the Bible as perfectly as possible. I haven't got there. But I'm going in that direction. I want you to join me. You're going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes. But the more that we join together and bind together, we'll see that we will grow together. And, and we're, we've been on this push of, of correct theology because when you have correct theology, it produces correct behavior. It, it behavior towards God, towards Christ, towards the Holy Spirit, correct behavior toward your beloved uh, fellow member, correct behavior toward the world, toward the election, everything. It produces correct behavior when you have a clear understanding of what God's word is saying, not what you want it to say. False apostles' pride most clearly manifested its, itself in their greed. You can see it. Though they desperately wanted to see to be seen as Paul's equal, they, they, they didn't. And, and one of the reasons they were mad at Paul is because he wouldn't take any money, and now put them in a bad spot, but we're taking money. Well, that means because we're good. We're better than him. And the, the Corinthians, they knew this, that it wasn't true. They knew Paul's heart. They knew who he was. And so to continue to con take the money was just made it awkward. But despite the pressure from these false apostles, Paul says, you know, what I'm doing, I'm going to continue to do. I'm going to continue doing this in, in the matter of which they, they were boasting in. 
And, and what Paul is saying is when you are a prideful person, it just seems to knock you down a notch. Well, Peter said this, and I think Peter probably had a good experience as to what pride is. You remember Peter, loud, brash, loud, you know, angry, liar, uh, you know, just he, uh, he, he denied Jesus Christ. In 1 Peter 5, if you look at your outlines in verses 5 and 6, as a matter of fact, he's, he's talking to them. Look, here's how you ought to do this. Here's what you need to do. And, and these words are coming from the, that Peter who learned a valuable lesson. And he says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Peter says, look, guys, I know. You know what's something really interesting about Peter? We know that Peter denied Jesus Christ. And why do we know that? It's, I think you said because it's in the Bible. The Lord has told him he was going to do it. But we know that because it's in the Bible. You know, it's in, the, it's in all four Gospels. You know that Peter became the leader of the church. You know, I, and I'm just saying, you know, and the Bible didn't get, the Gospels didn't get written until much later. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians was the first, was written before the Gospels were. And, and so you have the Gospels, and all four Gospels share that Peter, you know, messed up. And, and so Peter is, is, you know, man, I blew it. Really blew it. Now, if, if I had been the leader of that movement that was going on, and you guys are writing this, can you do me a favor? Can you guys kind of just scratch that part out? You know, just, that's, that's very humiliating. That is embarrassing. You know, and I, I, Luke, I know that Luke did a careful analysis. He asked the questions of every single person, of every person that was involved. And when he talked to Peter, I can just only imagine. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, that's, yeah, I did that. You just need to know. That's what I did. And we know about Peter's failings because it was written down. And any one of those people could have, there are a lot of things that we don't know what happened. And that could have easily been omitted. But Peter, God said to him, Jesus said to him, I'm going to use you. You are the rock. You're not now. You're flake. But you will be the rock. And he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. My problem is is that I tend to exalt myself. My problem is is that I have too much pride. My problem is is it's a lot of times there's this opposition of God in my life. Are you being opposed by God? Are things taking place in your life where you're just, why, God? Have you come to a place where you can recognize and say, you know, Lord, whatever it's going to be. You know, on Tuesday or on the next Friday or maybe next month, maybe never, I don't know, whenever the results come in, there are going to be a lot of angry, mad, upset people. Pride is going to take hold and Satan's going to use that to continue to drive this division within the nation, within the families. I heard somebody say this last week, you know, we can't have a civil war. And everybody's thinking about a civil war. You know, back when they had an actual civil war, there was a Dixie line. There was a north and the south. There was a clear division. Today, that line runs between the families, sometimes even between the bedrooms, in the living room, in the workplace. There is no distinction anymore. It's kind of marbled. And we're going to go to war with that? And I don't know. I don't know where that's going to lead. All I know, beloved, is that it's going to get worse before it gets better, before Jesus Christ comes. There's a lawlessness already taking place. There's a lawlessness already happening. 
and we have to get about sharing the truth of the Bible. And this is why number five is very important. And I believe that these three verses form the heart of this whole section where Paul denounces the false apostles in strong, forceful language because the truth was at stake. Unlike many people today, Paul was not willing to sacrifice truth for unity. I, I was at a, a unity rally yesterday, as a matter of fact, and they asked me to preach. And I go, are you sure you want me to preach? They go, well, yeah. I says, okay, I just want you to know that I'm going to share the gospel while we were counting on that. Okay. Because for me, for me, the gospel is the uniting factor. That's what's going to unite God's people is the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we know clearly what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And, you know, rightly so. We're praying for our nation. We're praying for unity. We're praying for people that, that some people don't even have an inkling of what the truth is. They have their truth. But the only thing I can share is what the gospel message states. I don't want to deviate from that. And if you want to hear what the gospel, this is what it is. And that doesn't unify. Literally, it divides. Didn't Jesus Christ say? I mean, we sing that song, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinner reconciled. And we pray for this. When Jesus Christ came in this Christmas song, peace on earth. Yes, Jesus Christ is bringing peace on earth. But Jesus himself said, I'm not bringing peace to this earth. I'm bringing a sword. I'm going to divide mother and, 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 son, and daughter, father and son, you know, brothers against brothers, in-laws against in-laws, because the truth is going to be so convicting. that Some people don't want anything to do with it, and other people are going to be drawn to it. Amen. And he says this in verses 13 through 15. Don't, let, don't live a life of deception. He says... For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise in his servants also, disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Satan has done a great job in influencing Hollywood to help us to see what Dante saw in Dante's Inferno. That Satan is a, a demon in red with a pitchfork tail, cloven hoofs, and horns, and a beard, and a mustache, kind of looks like Frank, no, <laughs> just kidding, and a beard and a mustache, and Hollywood has done a great job into deceiving us into thinking that that's what Satan is. Paul just said to us right here, he disguises himself as an angel. Do you know that when we were going through the book uh, here just a few, a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about Eve being deceived by the serpent, there was this tradition or this story, a Jewish tradition, and I, I didn't bring it up because it just clouds up a lot of stuff, but there was this Jewish tradition that Eve herself was seduced by Satan. And, and the story goes in, in a lot of the apocryphal books that, that Eve was seduced by this bright, beautiful being that she didn't realize it was Satan, the bright and morning star. And Satan disguises himself within the church. And Paul says, you, you know, these deceitful men, you know, they're disguising themselves. And, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself. Satan doesn't come to us in pitchfork in hand with horns and, and fangs. And all these things that people proclaim that they see, Satan comes to us sometimes in the most subtle and the most alluring ways. Think about this, beloved. Would you respond to Satan if he were to come to you and say to you, I want your heart. 
Let me just rip it out of your chest. Let me rip out your heart and chew it up and throw it on the ground and stomp it and just bring disaster upon you and your family and famine and hatred and ugliness and make you the worst human being in life with these drugs and alcohol. Let me just do that. How many of you would respond to that? <laughs> really? No. Well, I don't know. Maybe there are some. But Satan comes. It's not that bad. It's just a little taste. You're not going to die. Look how, man, it's just going to make you feel good. Oh, yeah, you won't have any worries. And look, it's free. And you can have just a little taste. He'll come to you in whatever form it takes to get you to take the bait. See, temptation. Temptation is the bait that hides the hook. And when temptation is lured in front of us, it, it, it's alluring. Always smells good, looks good, beautiful. This is why John tells us that we need to test the spirits. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Do not fall into this deception of false prophets, of claiming and prophesying and sharing with you things that, that don't come from God's word. You take God's word. We are very literal in God's word. There is room for interpretation. There is room for eisegesis and being able to apply it to your life. But the exegetical word of God is what we profess and what we look on to. If that's what God's word says, we take it for God's word. Now, if it, you know, when Jesus Christ said, you know, it would be better for you to go into heaven lamed with one eye missing or one arm hand missing than for you to go to, to hell with everything on. So if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. We're not walking around cutting people's hands off, plucking people's eyes, okay? We're just not going to do that. I believe what Jesus Christ was saying is do whatever it takes. If pornography, if the internet, if all those pictures, all that stuff is swaying you, then you know what? Just turn it off. Just call the cable company and tell them to take it off. If it's causing you to stumble, the problem is some people say, you know what, I'd, I'd rather just pluck out my own eyeball. At least I got one good eye to look at it. I'd rather just do that. Do whatever it takes. And so we, there's, there's that room for eisegesis and the application of our life. But beloved, when, when Paul is telling us to beware of false prophets, you know, as a matter of fact, Jesus started off by telling us in chapter 7, of, of verse 15, it's in your outline, it says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Look at the fruits. Look at the fruits of the people that are within you and that are around you. Those that claim to be uh, genuine Christians. Pastors, leaders, what are they after? Paul says, well, they're after greed. They're after money. They're after possessions. They're after stuff. Stuff that is not going to last on this world. In, in Matthew 24, when, they were, when Jesus was asked about, when are these things going to happen? When are all these things going to come to fruition? And Jesus answered them, said, see that no one leads you astray. The very first thing he says, see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Amen. Very first thing. As a matter of fact, later on in verse 24, he says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. If it was possible, even the elect would be led astray. And, and here's the thing, that they're going to do signs, and they're going to do wonders. They're going to, wow, look at this. 
Look what's happening. And, and I'm, I'm just getting richer and richer and all these things are happening. And Jesus is saying, okay, well, you need to weigh this out. And this is why John says in 1 John 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. John gives us four steps on how to test the spirits. Does it focus on Jesus? Does it focus on the cross? Does it focus on the world? Does it focus on the, 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 the well-being of the individual? And, and there's, there's some steps there that I'd love to take you through. And maybe we'll touch on that next week. But there's some steps through that, that John walks us through to test the spirits. You don't test them according to your understanding or your thought, if it agrees with you and lines up with your philosophy, theology, your um, whatever. Does it line up with my presidential candidate? Does it line up with my politics? Does it line up with my philosophy? you got to line it up toward the Word of God. So there is a way to test the Spirit. And beloved, the whole purpose of this is to protect the unity of the church. Paul is just just is waiting, he's chomping at the bits to get to Corinth and really just set this place straight. And the infiltration of the world has come into the church. The infiltration of the things of the world have already influenced the church. Don't know if you heard, but this last week, I'm sure many of you probably read it and saw or saw it, that now in, well, a lot of churches, it's, it seems to be okay to live an immoral lifestyle because, well, God is love. God loves everybody, and God wants everybody to be loved. There are a lot of churches that are, are proclaiming and are using this culture as a, as a litmus test. You know, as long as we can abide by and work with, and, and we have a shutdown order in, the United, in California to churches aren't supposed to meet. At the very beginning, I talked to you guys about how God is sovereignly in control, and it brings me comfort. And in all honesty, it doesn't really frighten me as much as I, I might intend to say it does. But I was making the point that, yes, it should frighten us as well because we're not going to get the result that we want. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe you will. Somebody will get the result that they want. But my concern more than anything else is the kingdom of God. And I, and I was using that as an example because when we think about what the church is gone through in the last several hundred years. Yesterday was the celebration, or at least the remembrance, of what they call Reformation Day. 503 years ago, in 1517, a young monk named Luther, uh, uh, Martin Luther, he nailed 95 theses to the doors of Wittenberg, the church in Germany. And his whole premise was, we need to get back to the Bible. You cannot be selling indulgences. You cannot be telling people that they're going to go to hell if they don't pay the monies. You cannot tell people, you cannot sell the, their forgiveness, indulgences. You can't, indulge, you can't do that. You can't forgive sin. Only God can forgive sin. Luther was not trying to start another church. Or he wasn't really trying to start another religion or anything else. He wanted the church to get back on track. As a matter of fact, about 130 years prior to that, there was this guy named Wycliffe. John Wycliffe believed with all his heart that the people needed to hear the Word of God through the Word of God. And so he had the Word of God, the Latin Vulgate at that time, translated into English. And they handwritten it because the printing press wasn't there yet. And they wrote the Word of God and they gave it to as many people as they could. 
And then when he died, his teachings didn't die with him. It continued to spread on. And, a, and a, one of his disciples, a guy named Jan Hus, he says, I, I believe this. And he wrote out a, a, a treaty, a 12-point treaty. And he says, we got to get back to the word of God. We cannot be letting the, the church dictate to us who goes to heaven and who doesn't go to heaven. And so he had this written addendum, 12 points is what they called it. And he had these books and the church says, well, let's debate this. And he goes, all right, I'm, I'm willing. you guys wanted to openly debate? Yeah, let's debate this. And so he shows up. And as soon as he gets to the city, they arrest him. The very next day, they tied the written Bible that they had in English around his neck and burned him at the stake. They martyred him. Not only him, but there were a few others that they had killed also. All because they said, we want to get back to the word of God. Now, when Martin Luther came up, he, he was already influenced by a lot of this. Martin Luther lived a, a very uh, difficult life. His life was, was so full of angst. It was full of angst because he says, you know, I can't pay enough penance. I cannot do enough. I cannot sacrifice enough. And he tried and he starved himself and he, he went through all kinds of illnesses and sicknesses because he wouldn't eat, he wouldn't drink, he would beat himself. And he was in this mental state of anguish until he came to the writings of what these men were talking to him about. Look, justification is by faith. And there was this regeneration within his life that freed him from all this oppression. You don't work for your salvation. Martin Luther nailed those theses to the wall. And from that point forward, it's been attributed to him. As a matter of fact, let me back up a little bit. After Wycliffe had died and they burned John Huss at the stake, they went and took Wycliffe out of the holy grounds of the church. They exhumed his body. They burned it. And then they cast his ashes in the ocean, I mean, excuse me, in the river. And it's interesting because what he had started, what God had started within him to spread. We have now what is called the Protestant Reformation. They were protesting. What were they protesting? They were protesting the church's ability to misuse the, the word of God. We got to get back to the word of God, beloved. Got to get back to the word of God. And here is where you and I come into play with this. When you study scripture and you understand its theological understanding, that's not just for theologians. That's not just for pastors. You, every one of us, have to know the word of God. And as we go through these Bible studies on Wednesday night, we're going to start a doctrinal study on Sunday nights. As we start going through these studies, ask questions. How does this fit in? Because we want this to be practical. That's what God had always intended. That's what Paul is trying to get across. And that's what Jesus Christ died on the cross for us to do, not to work for our salvation, but to know that it was given to us for free. Amen? Amen. Let me ask you to stand. Amen. If you know the story of Paul, tradition has it, well, we know that he was imprisoned and he was in Rome, and that's all we hear about him according to Scripture. But tradition has it that he was never, he always wanted to go to Rome, but never released from prison in Rome, and uh, he was executed. He was beheaded. John Huss, when he was burned at the stake, it is said that he yelled out, Father, forgive my tormentors. Forgive them for this crime that they cause against your saint. Time after time, Stephen was stoned. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Every one of these martyrs that we have talked about have given their life for the cause of God's word sola scriptura 
Sola Scriptura, God's word alone. Father, we thank you for your word and how it's been preserved for us. We thank you and how you just seemed it good for us to give us this word. And we ask you, Lord, that you continue to bring it to light as we see, illumine it. Illumine your word in our life. Revelation has already been given. And revelation will not change because that is your truth. Truth never changes. Truth changes me. And your word, every time I read into read it, I can see the things that you have for me. It brings it to light. Nothing new. Always has been there because of who you are. So we thank you, Father, for your word and how it is that you protect and guide it. And you brought it to us up to this point. So, Lord, we move from this place to put it into practice within our life. I pray for our, our children that they learn this word, that they apply it to their life. I pray for our community, Lord, that we are a beacon in this community, that people come to know who you are. I pray for our state and our governors. I pray, Father, for our, our United States, our nation, as we go through this turmoil, that you continue to have your way, because ultimately your will will be done. Your kingdom will come. And we pray for that, Father. And so we pray that you not only preserve us, but you help us persevere as we walk through these next few weeks, months, until you return. So thank you, Father, for this time we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen, amen and amen. May the Lord be with you. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel, and you shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. We are dismissed.